Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing the same as I was uh, just a few minutes ago. That's right. When we recorded that last episode. Okay, fair that enough. Was a, that was a fun time. Yeah. I'm going to turn off this air conditioner. You sure? Yeah, it's blowing right into the mic. Okay, so... Uh, I wish I knew. Why? Whether or not that was actually being picked up. Oh, well, I don't know if it is or not, but... Uh, okay. Oh, well. So... Uh, I'm going to be sweating my ass off here, listeners. Just sitting here. And that's because I'm going to be interrogating. <laughs> so I'm um, under a light. That's true. Uh, okay, so before we get... So, of course, I'm talking about the top ten of the list today. Yes. But first things first... The list being the uh, the top 100 movies of all time list that was right. generated by you, by your votes, the listeners. That's right. Uh, but yeah, but first, Tyler didn't complain enough about the list last episode. He's got one more thing to complain about. It's not about. necessarily a complaint, actually. Right. It's, it's more of a, a, a general question. Um, it's an observation? Yeah. What are you, Isaac fucking Newton? <laughs> Some days I'm confused. <laughs> all right, so... Um, <laughs> you know what? This episode's over. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna click this over now. Um, so there's only, uh, there are only two animated films on the list, David. Mm-hmm. They are Fantasia and Finding Nemo. What do you think of that? I would love both those movies. Yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't kick them off the list. Uh, for eating crackers, but um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there are. It's they're both Disney movies. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, I don't know, it kind of feels like the way the, uh, the Academy nominates on animated films, hmm. you know, just the ones that are for kids, you know, there's yeah. not enough. Yeah. Uh, and I mean the Academy nominated Persepolis, that was cool. Right. Right. And that was a good movie. But yeah, I would like to have seen, even though this is kind of for kids, uh, Spirited Away. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or My Neighbor Totoro, which are mm. both, uh, brilliant movies. Uh, yeah. I would have liked to have seen those. I'm glad Akira didn't make it. <laughs> it was not. It, it was submitted a couple of times, yeah, though, right? There were yeah. votes for Akira. It, I, I just. I'm I've sorry. never seen it. I'm sorry, anime guys. I just don't like it that much. Does Spirited Away? Spirited I respect Away... Akira. Let me talk about Akira. Okay, yeah. I think the problem may be that I didn't see Akira until later in life, and it might have been Akira might have been sort of ruined for me by all the shitty anime that it inspired. Mm. You know, because I've seen the stuff that happens in Akira. A million times over, yeah. you know. But then, when you realize that Akira was made in the '80s, it, it right it it, it, it might have been the source of a lot of bad anime. It's not yeah. necessarily bad itself, but it's okay. Uh, uh, I'm just kind of tired of it already. The only anime I have ever seen is uh, Cowboy Bebop, which I enjoyed. I, uh, I thought. Did you see the movie? Yes, I did. I didn't see the movie. I like I liked the series though. Yeah, it was good stuff. I enjoyed it. Um, I want to watch. Um, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, the title is too complicated. For me. <laughs> but there's a new series of movies that's essentially like a uh, like the first one is coming out this week here in America. Okay. The second one already came out in Japan, but won't be here for a while. Okay. That's essentially they're making movies that are like essentially retelling the series. So now I don't have to rent the series; I can just go see some movies. I guess. That's but uh, <laughs> I've heard it's good, so I want to watch it. Um. I guess my my yeah I mean they they I I was not expecting aside from Spirited Away I certainly was not uh wasn't expecting uh you know Persepolis or you know Walls with Bashir or anything like that to to make the list but um 
you know, I expected a uh, a few. I, I expected a, maybe a couple more animated films than made it. And if it was going to be two, I'm not sure I expected it to be these two. Fantasia, perhaps, because well, Finding Nemo is my favorite of the Pixar movies. Uh, Let's see. Is it? Uh, I think Incredibles is yours, isn't it? The Incredibles is mine. I think Finding Nemo is uh, my second. Mm-hmm. I do love Finding Nemo, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's interesting because I was I was talking about the the list with uh, some people, and I mentioned that Finding Nemo was the, you know the the computer computer animated like there's traditional animation and then computer animation mm-hmm. and Finding Nemo is the computer animation and so and he said really like he just. He thought that perhaps if it was going to be any of that, well, it would certainly have been Pixar, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he thought it would have been like Toy Story or you know one of the earlier ones that kind of was a pioneer in right. that. Um, but then what I was thinking was, well, Toy Story is great, of course, it is. and Toy yeah. Story Two is wonderful. But um, but Finding Nemo was like really, I think, the film that put Pixar on. Uh, not on the map. Everybody knew Pixar before that, but like put it on the map from an uh, from an artistic standpoint, like something that adults can really enjoy in the sense that there's stuff there for adults as well. Yeah, that that, that was sort of a turning point where it's not like we're making a kids movie with stuff for adults. It's like right. they're just making a movie. And yeah, that's what they do now. They yeah. Pixar just makes movies now, and they're not necessarily for kids. Yeah, up especially is just at this point. I think it's there's so much stuff in there that a kid would be bored by. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to imply that I, I don't think any kid actually will be, but it's you know it's like oh an old character uh, children cannot relate to that, um, and oh and he lost his wife well they can't relate to that either, but um, but yeah and and Finding Nemo just really seemed to it also kind of kicked off the like the new it, it's I almost it's almost like Little Mermaid where because it takes place underwater. Uh, perhaps, but it just like Disney had kind of hit a bit of a slump. Not to imply that Pixar had hit a slump, but uh, and then Little Mermaid comes along and kicks off like this new company renaissance. Uh, whereas like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Beast, Aladdin, Lion, Lion King. King, and then it kind of tailed off after that. Is but, Aladdin all that great? I I don't remember because um, that, that's one that I good. haven't revisited. Since it's I was good. A kid. It's it, it's a perfectly fine film, but as far as just audience response, right. Um, I mean, it was right. It was. I don't remember what the box office was for those four films, but a lot of the four right we there. mentioned, which one's your favorite of those four? Yeah. Hmm. I'd be inclined to say Lion King. Um. I do. I do like Little Mermaid, though. I think I'm going to go with Little Mermaid. I mean, as far as like as as listeners know, when it comes to Disney movies, uh, it's usually all about the villain for me. Uh-huh. Scar's great. Ursula's pretty rough. Yeah. Like Ursula's pretty. I mean, she's like uh, just a completely different kind of creation. Like the fact that she's like a mermaid but an octopus uh-huh. is insane and awesome. And just the look of her and the voice was really great. It's just Ursula's really awesome. That's she's my favorite part of the Little Mermaid. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's uh, there's not a Little Mermaid ride at Disneyland. There isn't. Is there? there should be. I was gonna say it's a shame there's not a Finding Nemo ride, but then I remembered that there is, and it's terrible. It's not that it's terrible. It's, it's just boring. Who, yeah, it's it's and it takes forever. 
It does take forever. I actually, I went to, as you know, I went to Disneyland. Some of the listeners know. Uh, it was your birthday recently, went, I understand. Yeah. I, okay. I, I kind of wanted to keep it secret, but uh, <laughs> I went to Disneyland and uh, we did, We like at the end of the night, we did all those, the uh, Fantasyland rides, all mm-hmm. the, the, the like kids rides. And some of the like Alice in Wonderland is awesome. Yeah. Peter Pan, of course, is awesome. It's yeah. the best one of those. Uh, and then there's... Uh, okay, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And Pinocchio. Uh, well, Pinocchio at least, it, it's it's kind of crazy, but Pinocchio, here's what happens. Pinocchio, it goes, it gets really dark, and at the end, Jimmy Cricket says, we made it, and we're safe, or whatever. And then you're like, okay, it's safe. Yeah, and Mr. Toad. Mr. Toad, you go to hell, and then the ride is over. Yeah. <laughs> and what's what's great, uh, okay. <laughs> I back in May I had a I I went to Disneyland with a friend who had never been there, mm-hmm. and so it's like okay well we got to hit as much stuff as we can and thankfully I don't know why but just that day you wouldn't expect it in May you expect it more in like February but like that day no line was longer than like fifteen minutes it was really wonderful and so um so I was like well we got to do I was like hey do you like creepy things he's like yeah sure I was like. Well, let's do this. I won't tell you what to expect, but we'll 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 go on uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And so there's a I mean that's that whole ride is weird, but <laughs> also like there's a part where it's like, "Hey, there's a train coming at us." Like it, <laughs> and that part's done wonderfully. And then you go into this chamber and it's hot. It's like they crank the the yeah. the heat in like so it's like probably a solid 15 to 20 degrees warmer than the rest of the ride. Yeah. And it's clearly hell. Yeah. And so I'm just looking around like, oh, my gosh, it's been a while since I've been on this. And then my friend just goes, are we in hell? I said, yeah. He goes, why? I was like, because we stole a car. (laughs) He goes, this is terrifying. I was like, I know. That's what's so awesome about it. Um, Well, the Snow White one is the funniest, though. Okay. Because, okay, you see Snow White once the whole time. The rest of it is all about the witch. Yeah, and you see like the dwarves a little bit, but it's the witch. Every every corner you go around, it's like the witch like trying to give you an apple. Yeah, you know. And then at the end, the witch wins, and she takes a bite of the apple. And then the doors open, and the sign outside it's a storybook that says, "And they lived happily ever after." No, the it shows the witch die. No, it does not. Yeah, up there you have to look for it though. Is the problem? It shows the witch die like a lightning strike, and you see her like get. Like her silhouette, like get crushed by a rock, okay, or something, and then they lived happily ever after. But the thing is, okay, maybe you see the witch die. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. But who is the they of the title? We haven't seen the prince for the entire ride. That's true. And uh, I'm operating under the theory that you see Snow White and then you are Snow White, because the witch is always offering you, right, the apple, and okay. so I think that's how it is. Uh, but yes, you never see the prince because yeah. uh, eh. by they it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. They they all live happily ever, ever <laughs> after. So yeah, it's a it's a weird ride. But actually, that uh, to get back on topic a little bit, um, you know, I mean, would you have expected Snow White to be included on the on the list? I mean, it is it was uh, Fantasia also kind of pioneered animation, but like Snow Snow White was the first feature length animated film. Yeah, that's. I, I I love it's also it's my first uh, my first movie going memory is because in, mm. in in eighty seven that would have been the fifty year anniversary yeah. right thirty seven to eighty seven I think so yeah um so they released it 
in theaters again in thirty in eighty seven, and I was probably not even five yet. I was probably four. And Makes uh, no why I was older than that. Uh, I don't know. We could look it up. We could look <laughs> it up, but that would involve me, uh, you know, doing Lean, something. leaning forward. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, whatever fucking year it was. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw it in the theater. It was my first movie-going experience that I remember. Yeah. Uh, my first movie I saw in the theater was E.T., according to my parents. Oh, nice. But I don't remember that. Um, and so, like, as far as, like, j- I mean, there's there are a lot of really wonderful animated films. The more I think about it, the more one of my favorites is, is uh, Pinocchio. I mean, I would have... If you and I had had submitted things uh, to the list, which we didn't, we wanted to keep it pure. Of course, um, Pinocchio would have been on my list um, because it's just. First off, it's because uh, I've watched Snow White and Pinocchio recently, and Pinocchio is their second feature length film, and the animation. I mean, it, it leaps and bounds. I mean, it is way ahead, uh, way far ahead of Snow White, and it's not the first one. But it's, it it feels like it's almost more of a, almost more of a pioneering film, because it's uh, it, I feel like it did a better job like with character and and stuff like that, like really bringing story elements into it and just, and it's gorgeous to look at. I don't know, Pinocchio to me is it might be, strange as it sounds, might be like the height of animated storytelling fantasia has a lot of amazing animated sequences but there's not much of a story to it right you know um but yeah pinocchio to me is is that so that's that's one that i would have liked to see on the list but i realize that not a lot of people think of it the way i do so well while you were talking i don't know if you noticed but i got up and i went over and got your dvd of snow white and the seven dwarves it doesn't say on it what year it came out yeah it's a bootleg copy Um, (laughs) is it really yes so i was gonna say it looks cheaper than your other Snow White DVDs. My I mean, other Snow White? Your other Disney DVDs. <laughs> I have eight of them. <laughs> and you happen to grab the bootleg copy. Yeah, where did you get this? Uh, it was uh, purchased for us on uh, like eBay or something uh, as uh, as like a present. So we did not know at the time that it was a uh, bootleg Does it copy. Look okay, or uh, no? It 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 was good for one viewing, as far as I could tell. How about that? Yeah. So. You have to get that replaced. Absolutely. But uh, anyway, so... So let's get into it. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Shall we? Yeah, yeah. Number so, 10. Number 10. <laughs> All right. This is like how quickly we change gears. Yeah, that was really... <laughs> I was, was, I'm not sure if I was done talking, but that's fine. <laughs> um, all right, number 10. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you lead the charge here, David. I'm just going to sit back and let you... Uh, oh, don't do that. Let you guide us. No, you're so, no, you're so quick to get into the topic. You, you, Go ahead. Well, I'm sitting here sweating. I'd like to get this over with. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you and the listener. <laughs> um, number 10, uh, The Third Man. The Third Man. Directed by a, a woman named Carol Reed. <laughs> That's awful. She was married to Oliver Reed, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who, of course, was the star of the film, Oliver. <laughs> Starring Ben Kingsley. Um that, you know what? Okay, I'm sorry. Slight tangent. That's one of my favorite games to play. Uh-huh. The game of you and your friends just getting things wrong <laughs> and just building on on things over and over. Um, I was I was, and what's neat is you can't announce that you're playing it. It just needs to happen naturally. Right. 
and it's so much fun. I was playing that game with my with a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, and some other friends the other day where uh, we just started getting things wrong, and I was very pleased with myself because uh-huh. he mentioned nov- uh, writer Thomas Pinchon, uh-huh. and I said, didn't he play Balky in uh, Perfect Strangers? Uh, I was very pleased with myself. So, uh, so yeah. We got to do that more often, David. Just yeah. And hopefully, like, I like the idea of new listeners showing up and just being like, Carol Reed's a man. What are you talking about? No. And he wasn't married to Oliver Reed. No, yeah. Carol Reed is a man, and he yes. was married to Evelyn Waugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, this is what happens when we record more than one episode at a <laughs> yeah. time. The second episode really kind of gets the shaft. But it's... it's Funnier, uh, it's sillier. It's more fun for us. Well, there's no question about that. Okay, but let's talk about the third man. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> you son of a... I guess this is no, what happens when I let you lead, is you just throw it to me. <laughs> no, I mean, I like. I really like the uh, the, the Zither music from Triple X that's in, <laughs> in <laughs> third man. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I've never there's, seen Triple X. Uh, well, it um, triple, there's a part of Triple X that takes place in, in Vienna, mm-hmm. and... Uh, he goes to a bar or to a club, I guess. Yeah. And there's it's like a little in joke because there's so much crossover between Triple X fans and Third Man oh, fans. Yeah. I think it's just me actually. Uh, it's like a techno remix of the Third Man theme. That's kind of cool. At the, like playing at the club. Although I have to assume <laughs> that that maybe it's in there as a way of making people examine their own lives. Because <laughs> if you know the Third Man theme, like, and then you suddenly hear it, you'd be like. You're right, Triple X. Why am I watching this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Third Man. It's 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 a great film. I absolutely I absolutely love it. One thing that always bothers me about it now is that everybody knows Orson Welles is in it. Oh right. You know what I mean? Like at the time, that had to be like a big. I mean, people might have known who he was. Uh, I mean, they knew who he was, but uh, they might might not have known what character that what character he played mm-hmm. and now he's just he's so prominently featured in everything uh about the film right that there's you have to assume that oh well okay he's it's not like a delightful surprise when you see him but that revealed. doesn't really rob the film of a whole lot uh not really because it's not you don't necessarily know that he is this guy who's supposed to be dead you think he might just be like a conspirator or something like that yeah but that's that's always something that where I'm just like, I always want to, I would always lend Third Man to somebody. I'd be like, don't look at the cover. Don't look at the cover. <laughs> it's like, well, that's dumb. That's a dumb attitude. But because uh, it's well, not Have you ever watched From Dust Till Dawn with someone who doesn't know that they turned into vampires halfway through? Uh, no. That's a blast. That is a <laughs> lot of fun to experience. Because I was in high school with my friend Lindsay. We just went to the video store. And, you know, it, I, I just grabbed a Blockbuster. You know, Blockbuster just has the... Right, Blockbuster logo on the case. It doesn't yeah. show anything. And so you're watching it, and then she, she, I had seen it before, and it didn't even occur to me that she didn't know yeah. that they were there was going to be about vampires. And so and it was happening, and she was like, well, "What is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be it it would be fun whether it be like Third Man or From Dusk Till Dawn mm-hmm. or Psycho or something right. like that, where I would I haven't gotten to yet, but I'd love to watch those movies with somebody who is completely ignorant of their of the twist right psycho especially i think would be a blast to watch with somebody who does not know that the lead character dies 40 minutes in yeah 
um, and then it just changes gears immensely. Like I think that would be that would be awesome. But uh, but third man, uh, it's a while before Orson, Orson Welles shows up, yeah. and it does such a good. And I don't want to make it only about Orson Welles, although he is the most dynamic character uh, in that film, mm-hmm. and one of the most dynamic characters ever, I think, um, as shown by you, the listeners, <laughs> in our other top hundred. Um, but the it just it does such a great job of just establishing the situation and i and i like joseph cotton in everything he's just he's such an able leading man um and i feel like he doesn't get he doesn't get enough enough praise like he he could do he could play comedic scenes he can play dramatic scenes suspense like he can play all of that and make it seem consistent with the character i mean he plays uh holly right that's the character's name, I believe. I think so. And so, <laughs> sorry, I'm bad. Uh, I've always been bad at that. And so, you're usually the one who's good at that. Yeah. Well, I just names. I I I, you, I will often instinctively know the names of characters, and only when I'm actually thinking of it, am I. Like, am I right? I think so. Holly's not a man's name. <laughs> oh, right. That's why it's memorable. Okay, got it. Um, it was directed by a man named Carol. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so to watch him just kind of stumble along because he's you know he I, I i like everything about the character of holly because he's just he's just a totally mediocre writer uh-huh. uh who is just he's a very unlikely hero because he's just he doesn't even really he's not heroic yeah he's not really that competent and he's just any he, and he's kind of in denial about certain things uh when he first hears them and and the film doesn't even work out well for him. He's actually a rather tragic hero, I think, um, because he winds up having to do the right thing, which is, you know, uh, kill his former best friend. Right. And he loses of co- he loses the girl, and now he just has to go back home and just continue being him. And l- there is no great ending for him. Yeah. He has less than he had when he started the film. And and yet the film ends on not necessarily. Would you say it ends on a positive note? Um, I don't remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 well, it ends with uh, it ends with uh, Harry Lyme's uh, funeral. Okay. And so, uh, and then it's literally only been like two years since I've seen this. I don't know why I don't remember the end of the movie. Oh, okay. And so I, I just I remember the the chase through the sewer system. Well, that's wonderful, of course. Well, it's. Okay, we'll finish it. Oh, anyway, and so... Real quick, though. So what I like (laughs) is that the the film ends with that upbeat, you know, zither score, of course, and and, uh, the girl uh, has just just, uh, completely snubbed Holly because, well, he killed Harry Lyme. Mm -hmm. And so... um, So, yeah, he... uh, Sorry, I'm hearing uh, bongo drums from the other room, which is weird. So uh, well, your wife's in there with Matthew McConaughey, right? Oh, you know what? She's watching The Visitor. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, that's an, that's a big part of it. Um, and so, so yeah, it it has like a really, it's really sad, but strangely upbeat, which I feel like is the film in general. Like it it has that tone throughout. Where well, it's sort of Harry Lyme's tone. Like he's yeah, absolutely. I mean, the things he says in that famous monologue that he has. Yeah. Are, you know, really cruel and and dark. You yeah. know, but he's got this sort of 
playful tone about him at yeah. all times. And I think that is sort of uh, it's, I think that's kind of why I like the movie so much is that it has a, it's almost it's it's more I don't want to compare it to anything and say more, it's more mature, but it has a very mature sort of uh, uh, appro- approach in in that it it, it it trusts its audience to uh, find its own footing in it, right you know in in the morality of the movie you right. know but uh we should move on pretty quickly here okay but yeah. I, I, I just want to you know talk about it from an aesthetic standpoint it's yeah. uh it, it's one of the most awesomely shot movies of all time it's the cinematography is uh very inventive and um it did you know did things with dutch angles and stuff that weren't as as big a deal yeah back then and it did i mean what year is the third man i mean that uh 49 i think okay so that was before Orson Welles himself started going all like baroque with camera movements, like like with what year? What year is Confidential Report? Is that fifty? Oh, that I I don't recall. Okay. But I mean, he was still I mean he was still doing stuff like that. I mean, he had done you know by that time he had done uh, Magnificent Ambersons and The Stranger and Lady. Oh from yeah, Shanghai. The Stranger is pretty nuts. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, either way, it's. Um, it feels. I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating Orson Welles. It's it's used differently in in yeah. Carol Reed's movie than than the way Orson Welles uh, does it. It's um, or, or, it seems Orson Welles when he plays with camera angles like that is sort of sort of trying to fuck with the audience. I think in in a good way, uh, but like trying possible, to fuck yeah. with their perception of of it. You know, yeah. uh, when you watch the Third Man, you the audience are. I mean, you might be unsure who Harry Lyme is, but you're pretty much on solid ground the whole time you know it's a it's a very clear-eyed sort of film yeah the 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 angles are pleasing to the eye you know they're they're it's everything's canted but it's it's very pleasing and the other thing i want to say about it we really spent way too much time we can't do this for all 10 movies all right fair enough but um uh the other thing i want to say about it is um okay film editing is the heart of what makes film and art right we've talked about that before but it's a very difficult thing to point out whether or not a movie is well edited, you know, unless right. you spend a lot of time editing yourself and I mean, you know, doing editing on your own, yeah. you say? self-censorship. Uh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's what I mean. Um, uh, you know, or looking for it. It's going to take a while for you to understand, but the best thing, the, the best thing you can say is if a movie moves the way the third man does, right. If it just like, cause it's not, it's not a short movie. It's not a long movie. It's a normal length movie. Right. Uh, but man, it's fast. In, in, but in a way that's not that's not uncomfortable. It's not uncomfortably fast. You know, right. it's not you know what's called like the MTV type yeah. of fast. It's uh, it's it's smooth, and it's over before you know it. And if a movie moves like that, I think that's that's what you should tell. That's a way to explain to people that's a well edited movie because of the way it moves. Not to mention, I mean, that story is. This is going to sound wrong, but that story in the hands of somebody else could have been something of a slog. I mean, the character is just, for a long time, just uncovering information. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah. Um, and that can be monotonous and boring. Um, and it's not at all. Um, it, as you say, it really moves. It really moves everything ahead. But it never feels rushed. Um, it is, yeah, it's... Third Man, to me, is... And I, th- I think we, we may wind up... I might wind up saying that about some of the other films in the top 10 which we um, should get to soon yeah <laughs> thanks david 
<laughs> That's my job. I know it is, and uh, I don't care for it. <laughs> but the uh, Third Man is, I think, one of the few films that I would say is perfect. For oh, what, yeah. For what, I mean, some would say, like, well, it doesn't have uh, certain elements. It's like, well, a perfect film doesn't have to have everything that a film can have. It is but just it's, a... Yeah, it's what I often say is you, you, you judge a movie based on did the filmmakers accomplish what they were trying to do? Right. You know? And even in some great films, that it might not be perfectly, right. you know, uh, accomplished. But The Third Man, there's not a single misstep in the whole movie. Right. It, it's, it is, yeah, it's flawless. It's a flawless movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, right, so let's number move nine. on. Number nine. Um, it's The Godfather Part 2. Godfather Part 2. Yeah. All right. The 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 bigger, it's it's longer, right? The oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's much bigger in scope. Yeah. Um, or at least it's big in scope in a more obvious way than the first one was. I mean, yeah. We're going to talk about, spoiler, we're, we're going to talk about the first one later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's sort of stick to Godfather 2 without trying, to, without comparing too much. Right. Um, what do you have to say about it? Cause you've probably seen it more recently than I have. <laughs> Do you have anything to say about any of these, David? We could just uh, end the episode now, or you could just I go I talked home. about the third man. That's true. You did. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but just uh, the way in which you throw it to me. Because so I, I, I just panic. You, really? Okay. All right. Fair enough. Because um, I, I realized that I was like, I, I, I need something. I need, I need a springboard before I can talk about Godfather Part 2 because I haven't seen it okay. recently enough. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. Okay. Um, yeah, what I like about one thing that I like about Godfather Part Two, um, and I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I like I, I like it a lot. I'd venture to say I love it, but it's just. But one thing that I definitely like about it is that it is absolutely its own film. Mm-hmm. But in the sense that I mean, it's definitely a continuation of the first film, but it does stand on its own because now it, this is now we are in the reign of Michael Corleone. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing is and of course the the shadow of uh, of Vito Corleone, you know, kind of looms over over Michael's section uh, indirectly, but of course then it also does directly because the film is two stories. Mm-hmm. It is a story of young Vito Corleone played by uh, Robert De Niro. And what I like about it is. At first, I, I didn't understand, wh- well, why are we showing, why are we, why do we have both of these? And and I remember that there was a, there was a while when, um, I think parts one and two had been re-edited for, I think, the USA Network or something like that. Yeah, and it's called the Godfather Saga, I yeah. think. And yeah. so that it's completely in chronological order, mm-hmm. which means it starts with Vito, uh, you know, young Vito, and then it goes into Godfather part two, and then the Michael, uh, the Michael part of... I'm sorry, it goes into Godfather Part 1 and then the Michael part of Godfather Part 2. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I, I, I like the idea of stuff being in chronological order when, it's, when you haven't seen it that way previously, just to see if it retains the power. And often it doesn't, which is interesting. I'm sure. But, um, and I remember thinking, when I, when I look back, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. It really does turn it into a saga then. But when you, when you have young Vito... And Michael, when you have them juxtaposed directly with each other, you see the idea that almost everything that Michael is doing, like he's always, it's like, oh, he's, oh, he's a more sensitive godfather. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind of the way it was, it was put out there is that 
yeah, he does this stuff, but he doesn't really want to, you know? So it's okay. He's kind of sympathetic. And then he kind of loses your sympathy by the end, which is which is the tragic of it, uh, the tragedy of it. But what what's important to see is when you look at these two stories, you see that it doesn't matter whether he doesn't want to do these things. He's still doing them because you you'll see you see brutality on Vito's side, you see brutality on Michael's side. Mm-hmm. And it's almost more noble on Vito's side because he knows what he's doing and he recognizes that in his own view, the necessity for it. He is doing what he feels is honorable and what is and what he needs to do to gain more power or, or whatever or, you know, survive. Mm-hmm. Michael already has power and a lot of a lot of his actions come out of a certain degree of uh, maybe not necessarily paranoia, but not wanting to appear weak, you know. And so. So it's interesting that to me has always been a. a, a a theme that I like the idea of, of motive, the motivations behind negative actions and how, when it comes right down to it, uh, negative actions are negative no matter what, like you can, you can have, you can be as sensitive as you want. You can, you can be as conflicted as you want. When it comes right down to it, you're doing, you're just perpetuating the same cycle of violence that everybody else has before you. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what, that's, that's why I like the structure of Godfather part two so much is it, it shows how these two guys are similar and how they're different. But the ways in which they're similar, ultimately, that's what's going to matter. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if you're conflicted uh, if you're still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's that to me is what I really love about Godfather Part Two, as far as just like the structure and the telling of it. So how's that for a springboard, David? Uh, Do you have anything was- to say? Uh, there's almost nothing left. That was great. Um, right. But I, uh, I I like the uh, I I wrote the little paragraph for this right. movie that it'll be on the website. So I'm gonna try not to repeat myself. But what I I do like the sort of uh, um, the American Godfather Part Two is becoming more of an America that we recognize. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, because uh, and, and, and it does contrast nicely with the Vito Corleone part, where uh, you know the Vito. Vito's story is in an America that is clearly a then. It's not right. Right. It's not. It's not what it's become. You know. Yeah. There's. It, uh, he's. When he he's doing something. It's a. It's a. It's an almost pure. And you say. Yeah. Like you say. It's. It's almost more noble. You know. Yeah. It's the story of an immigrant. You know. Yeah. In, in America. Uh, Michael's side of the story feels more. More almost like poisoned. You know because hmm. it's become. Uh, <clears throat> he's not. Michael's not an immigrant. He's he's an an American. He's a, yeah. a modern American, and he's sort of the dark side of that because he's it's going from being like uh, it, you, you know for all its <clears throat> the early days of the mafia and like you know some street gangs are some of the same way as yeah. as awful as what, what they do is they also provide a service of protection. You know, mm-hmm. I mean they provided at a cost, but when you're uh, in, you know, th- this either like a, uh, a largely unpoliced area, you know, like like a yeah. ghetto or or what, you know, you know, that's that's where Vito obviously lives is in right. a ghetto. That's you know, Little Italy isn't a tourist attraction in in Vito's right, right. story. That's a ghetto. You know, um, you kind of have to. It has to be more uh, self-policed, and mm-hmm. you know, that's gonna. 
it sucks that it's going to happen the way it does, but he does. That's why he's more noble is because even though he is shaking people down or, or, you know, stealing from people, he's still, uh, bringing a certain order to his, to the place he lives, which is why he's beloved in that neighborhood. Right. You know, I don't think Michael Corleone is beloved. No, because he's, he's no longer doing that. He's pretty much out for himself and making more money and screwing people over, which is what, corporations do now it's it's pretty much big business that's what he's gotten into you know like i mean look at i mean the whole part in cuba is the most fascinating part yeah to me you know uh because they want to i mean what is it they want to they want to just uh what what are they're trying to get into something in cuba like i said i haven't seen yeah i think they're actually trying to get involved with the with like the political side of Cuba. Right. Um, and this was of course before, uh, like the revolution. Yeah. Before. Um, yeah. And, uh, and basically just have almost, basically the mafia would kind of own a country. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it basically. would be sort of like almost a, just like a, uh, a playground for them or yeah. for, for rich people, Yeah, you know? Uh, and it would, but I mean, there's a lot of poor people in Cuba and there were a lot of poor people in Cuba then too. Yeah. And, uh, clearly that does not, it's it contrasts nicely with Vito is in some ways looking out for his fellow poor people. I mean right. he become he gets money, but he's looking out for poor people. Michael is fucking over poor people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's there's a reason I, I, I don't remember quite where I uh where I read this, but they're they're dis- they described uh Godfather uh, the Godfather trilogy in fact. Uh-huh. Uh and and to continue kind of your your metaphor as uh you know the crime as it as it develops the the crime in the godfather films becomes more and more corporate uh-huh. and just and the idea that that uh when you watch the godfather movies uh you actually see the the establishing of the criminal enterprise uh-huh. like the it's not there's no just it's not just crime anymore now it's a criminal enterprise you get into it as if it were a business you know um, and some of the, and probably some of the better movies or television shows uh, approach organized crime, whether it be mafia or, or or whatever, in that way, literally as if it were just a business. You know, um, that's one of the one of my favorite aspects of The Wire is it shows uh, these guys as thinking about it in terms of business. It's just a business where you might actually get shot. You know. Yeah. But uh, moving on. Yeah. To number eight. Number eight. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And that's um, definitely the the newest movie in our top ten, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I've got no problem with it being there. It's a uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's I mean, personally, as listeners know, and I think you feel the same way. Yeah, uh, I prefer Jackie Brown. Yeah. to Pulp Fiction, but it Jackie Brown didn't may have the impact yeah. that Pulp Fiction did. We've said many times, maybe I've just said it that. Um, a lot of the people, a lot, of, uh, maybe the generation or like a year or two before us, but people went to film school because of Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, you know, I think for our age it might have been more Rushmore, but you know, yeah. that's. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah. that's about right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but um, just it's funny. I was thinking about Pulp Fiction a lot recently. I haven't rewatched it uh, too recently, but I've been meaning to since Inglorious Bastards came out. Right. You know, because. There, you know, the problems that I had with Kill Bill is that it's just too 
full of reference. It's just yeah. it's all reference, you yeah. know. Um, and in 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 a way, uh, I, I guess I was thinking, why can't he go back to making movies like Pulp Fiction? Yeah. But then seeing Inglorious Bastards, which is kind of somewhere in between. Yeah. You know. It got me thinking about the, the the way it just sort of linked those two movies for me. It linked mm-hmm. Kill Bill to Pulp Fiction. Uh, and I realized, no, all the references were there in Pulp Fiction, too. Yeah. But they were they were just integrated better, you yeah. know? And he was actually telling a story. It's, it, Kill Bill is essentially him building a house of cards out of references. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? and also he's working within a, a, a genre, whereas Pulp Fiction, it's not really, it defies genre. I mean, it's it. It takes place in our reality, yeah, to a point. To a point, whereas, yeah. But like, Kill Bill does not take place in our reality. You know? No, but it takes place in a movie reality. Yeah, I mean, Kill. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is. Uh, I guess it's a it's a crime film. Yeah, but it's also got you know. Uh, there's clearly a Western influence. You yeah. know, especially that the the sort of the whole scene, the great diner scene at the end. You know. Yeah. Uh, could take place in a saloon, kind of. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It, that's kind of the feel that it has. Yeah. And he actually says, let's get the fuck out of Dodge at the yeah. end of the scene. Um, so that that's that's what I'm talking about. Is that the, All the references are there, and but they're, they're all forced into, uh, into being Quentin Tarantino in his vision, you know, right. as opposed to him, like, just... Uh, let's, I'm done talking shit about Kill Bill, yeah. but it's all it's all of a piece. It's all coherent in yeah. Pulp Fiction, um, and that was uh, you know not only is that a lot of fun, but it was kind of a big deal at the time. Yeah. You know, to be that referential. I mean, that, at that point we had had. Uh, I mean, he had Quentin Tarantino had done it in in Reservoir Dogs, and we'd had the, the Coens with Blood Simple, yeah. you know, and, and some, what, what else would have come out by 94 uh, of Coens? Miller's Crossing? Yeah. Barton Fink, you know. Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona, yeah. And um, I really think, uh, obviously I'm a bigger fan of the Coens, but there's a lot you can compare between the Coens and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And they're both, they're both very, very postmodern filmmakers. They both make films with the understanding that their audience knows films. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and loves films, yeah, and also just knows what to expect. Right. You know, they know they're it's they're films for an audience that is used to being manipulated by films. You know, right. and so they they play with that both the Coens and Quentin Tarantino. But uh, Pulp Fiction um, did it sort of it wore it on its sleeve more, mm-hmm. and also made a bigger splash than any because this is pre Fargo. This is right. before the Coens had made a had a huge yeah. movie like that. You know. Uh, and that's kind of why I think it's. That's why I think it, it, it's earned its place on this list is because it it, it sort of uh, just made this again a huge splash for postmodern filmmaking. That the, the postmodern yeah. filmmaking that defined what people came to think of as the the indie movement of the '90s. You know, even though this was the indie movement had started in the '80s. You know, but right. it's it. This is when it hit the mainstream. Is '94. You know, but it's also. I mean, it's. It is that it's it's everything you're talking about, but it is also more than that because he also that's that's always been, and yes, I, there are certain films of his that I don't really care for. But what I will say is that I, I honestly believe Tarantino to be one of the best filmmakers of all time, because in the midst of making references, in the midst of having fun, jokey violence, in the uh-huh. midst of having realistic, brutal violence, he create he will always create at least 
three or four incredibly memorable, wonderful characters that you love spending time with. Yeah. You know, and that's that's one of the things that I loved uh, about Inglorious Bastards is there's you just I mean, I had heard people talk about certain scenes taking too long, you know, going going on too long. I'm like, when you're spending time with these characters, how could it ever be too long? Yeah. You know, it's just I, I love it. And it's and and he lo- and that's the thing. He loves it, too. He understands how much he knows how good his characters are. He knows how strong Vincent and Jules are, which is why he allows us to just spend time listening to these two people talk about seemingly nothing because it's it's who these people are and the way they're talking about it that is so fascinating to us and it's just he's he's a such a vibrant filmmaker i mean he's he's one of the few directors anymore who i mean when his film comes out i mean it's a freaking event people are excited about it yeah as well they should be even if it's a film i don't like it's just it's still like ah he's still working and he's still doing nobody nobody makes movies the way Tarantino does mm-hmm. people try but they don't they just can't do it I mean he's he's such an interesting blend of homage and originality like he he makes he pays homage to films that he will do a million times better <laughs> as strange as that sounds right. and it's just and Pulp Fiction I mean it kind of it kind of kicked it off if you watch it now it's still incredibly watchable incredibly vibrant it's just so much fun and that's the thing is his movies are always incredibly funny as well yeah and it's just and the way he mixes genres it's just and and i'm sorry that i'm being so hyperbolic but you know inglorious bastards has grown in my mind now yeah as you know i i I had certain issues with it i i I really liked i didn't love it well i love it now i mean that's exactly what happened to me I really liked it at first, thought about it for about a day, and think a day later I was like, yeah, I love this movie. It's taken me a, a couple, a, a few weeks, but I think, you know, you, you saw it twice, so right. I, think, I think that's what it is. So, um, all right, moving on yes. uh, to, to Vertigo, which Vertigo. is uh, my favorite of, of Hitchcock's films. Yeah, I think and, it's mine, too. Um, but this is, uh, Vertigo, or Hitchcock didn't have the, the uh, independent film structure that Quentin Tarantino had to... to Make Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs and and grow. Right. Uh, he had to earn the right to make a movie as crazy and weird as Vertigo. <laughs> Can you imagine if he wasn't Alfred Hitchcock, him trying to oh like, yeah, made, like it's pitch that movie to someone? Yeah. The the uh, Vertigo is a deeply weird movie. It is. I mean, it's just so. Here's here's what I'll what I'll say. I uh, I mentioned it with Third Man. That Third Man, I think, is a is a perfect film. In the sense that, first off, it's just perfectly made, but also, as you say, the the filmmakers accomplish what they set out to do. I don't know what 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 Hitchcock set out to do with Vertigo. Yeah, and that and and I don't think he knew either. And that makes me admire it more that he just went on ahead with it, with Jimmy Stewart of all people, uh-huh. and just was so willing to just go to strange places that still strike a deep chord with viewers but i don't think i mean i you know i've i've not to sound too grandiose but i've devoted my life to being to being able to talk about movies coherently uh-huh. and being able to explain why i like something or or analyze something I, i've got i don't have much i have a lot to say about vertigo but i even i don't really 
get all of it. It's just so, like you said, it's just so, it seems almost like an experimental film. Uh-huh. After a while. It, when yeah. it first starts out, it just seems pretty conventional. Yeah, and it seems very, I remember that, that first scene in yeah. in his office, you know, with the, the secretary, and he's yeah. on the step stool, you know. Yeah. And it seems more like a, a Jimmy Stewart movie than uh, yeah. even an Alfred Hitchcock movie. He's just being charming, charming. funny yeah. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. You know? And then it just devolves into him becoming obsessed. And I think, you know, when when you read about the way that Alfred Hitchcock made movies where he, you know, meticulously, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, storyboarded? Storyboarded. Yeah. Storyboarded. He meticulously storyboarded everything. And when it came down to shoot, he just... It went quick because he didn't. Yeah. He knew what he was doing before he got there. Uh, I think he was probably kind of an obsessive person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I I, uh, I think Edward Hitchcock was kind of a weirdo. He didn't, uh, you know, he, the things he said about actors, he didn't like respect their craft really. Yeah. Uh, he he was, I think, a control freak. Yeah. And an obsessive. Yeah. And uh, if if Vertigo is about anything, it's about being obsessed. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's why uh, that's maybe that's why it, it speaks to people. That's why it's the the highest ranked Hitchcock film on the list. Yeah, or, it's not the old one. No, Psycho's on no. There's okay. there's a three. There's Psycho and Rear Window as well. Oh, Rear Window, right? Um, also a great one. Yeah, but um, uh, now I maybe forget what I was going to say. Well, that, that's that's the reason that uh, that's the that Vertigo is the Hitchcock film that. That yeah, is in the top ten because it's the most personal. He's um, he's an obsessed weirdo who made a movie about an obsessed weirdo. I keep quoting what I wrote in the paragraph. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying not um, to do that. Well, and all, I, one thing that I do like about it is <laughs> his view of his view of actors is kind of on display in Vertigo, but you also get the impression his view of people is kind of on display. Mm-hmm. Just the way that like. They're kind of interchangeable. It's like, oh, this person's not available to me, uh, so now what I'll do is I'll dress her up. Yeah. Until I get what I want. Yeah. You know, exactly. I mean, it's all about a certain. De- there's a certain degree of selfishness uh, to Jimmy Stewart's character in in Vertigo, mm-hmm. because that's the thing about obsession is it's nothing else matters except getting what you want. Right. Um. And yeah, and just and Hitchcock's willingness to go into territory just such weird emotional and, and psychological territory I, just, I respect it so much because as you said he was very meticulous and so yeah so I, I respect Vertigo so much and I think that's what makes it probably my favorite as well yeah so we should probably move on yeah moving on to Casablanca Casablanca we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on Casablanca yeah, it's wonderful everyone loves it yeah it's uh have you ever met a person who didn't like Casablanca yes I have, I have not yes who we didn't have the same taste. It was somebody back in high school. I can't imagine a human being with a beating heart and a working mind <laughs> not enjoying Casablanca. Uh, uh, the person thought it was boring. Ugh. But I, I don't think they were uh, quite in the right mindset to to watch Casablanca. But uh, They were stoned? <laughs> no, I think they were just in high school. Yeah. Um, the... Yeah, it's and and we've I think we've we've talked about uh, Casablanca uh, quite a bit, but but I don't want to I don't want to kind of dismiss it because everyone loves it so much. But I don't want to. We don't have to go into a lot of detail. We don't have a lot of time, (laughs) right? And so if one can be dismissed, this is the one. And so, uh, but yeah, it's 
it's just such again i would say this is another film that's perfect it's just everything about it works so well it's you know it, it combines a lot of elements it's funny it's dramatic it's romantic sorry um and it just it has a lot of colorful characters and uh <laughs> sorry but my cat has become obsessed with chords but uh. he's also positive that they're going to hurt him <laughs> he will walk up and try to touch it and then jerk his his paw away and so that's what david and i were witnessing and kind of chuckling at so um and i feel bad for him so sorry Cosmoc, it's got it's got a, a lot of really wonderful uh, characters, and it's just and the story, it's just got like a nice three act structure. But mm-hmm. what I like about it is that there, first off, there's such a clear character arc uh, for Rick, but at, and then at the end, it gives you a happy ending, but it's not the happy ending that you as a viewer expect or want. Yeah, um, it makes it forces you to think bigger. Than just these, you know, uh, the problems of a of you know three people, because we as 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 uh, as movie watchers just expect like, well, these are the people I'm watching, so these are the only people that are important. And the film actually says, no, this is bigger than that, and Rick realizes it, and you do too. And it's it's a film that just talks about sacrifice and unselfishness, yeah. and that's the thing. It's it's not it, I mean it is but it's not just a love story. It's right. not it's not even chiefly a love story. It's right. it's remembered as such, but it's really about uh uh it's it's a guy learning to be a decent human being. Yeah. Uh or or learning again, you know, right. re- rediscovering how to, it that that's the story. It's really about this guy. It's Yeah. I mean it's it's a love story too and a and a good one. Yeah. But that's not the that's not at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. And and that's the thing is it's a lot of people making making sacrifices you mm-hmm. know because she herself she clearly loves Rick more than uh, Laszlo mm-hmm. it's Laszlo right I think so Victor could uh, be right no that Victor Laszlo sounds right okay I get it mixed up but isn't that the guy who shot Easy Rider <laughs> um, I thought we were gonna play the game again no because now I, <laughs> Laszlo Kovacs is yeah. that who that okay all right no that's that baseball player um, and so. Uh, <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> Silly episode, I know. Um, and so, I mean, she has to. She's giving up something as well because. And what's and what's weird is that Victor himself. He's a decent human being. He knows that she doesn't love him as much as she loves Rick, but he acknowledges that like what I'm doing is really important. Yeah. And she's choosing to come with me, and so be it. Like it's. It's a weird thing. He's he's always been a fascinating character to me in that film, and I feel like so many people focus on Rick and Elsa that uh, they forget that Victor is a huge part of it. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah. It's and, and I'd like to see the story more from his point of view. What are you looking at? Uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't. I could hear things behind me, but I couldn't see anyone, and it was kind of creeping me out. Oh, okay. Uh, apartment's haunted. Yeah. But the. Uh, and so, yeah, so Casablanca, it just, it has so many great characters, and, and the, the big three uh, are, all of them are incredibly complex, and, and the acting is great all around. And just, as I said, Casablanca, it's a perfect film. Everybody who knows film loves it, as they should. Yeah. Uh, we can move on now. Okay, Dr. Strangelove. We lied last episode. Ah, Dr. Strangelove is in the top ten. Burn! Suckers. <laughs> 
okay. So <laughs> So we actually we were we were just talking about Doctor Strange Love uh when we talked about Sydney Lumet, weirdly enough. When we talked about Failsafe. Oh yeah, that's right. Um about how it sort of came to be. That Stanley yeah. Cooper wanted to make a movie about nuclear war. Yeah, and the arms race and all that. Yeah. And uh was and and found the whole thing so uh, insanely overblown and ridiculous yeah. that he didn't know how to make uh, the movie without making it a comedy. Well, there's. Well, uh, I will compare it to a, 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 a recent film, and of course, uh, listeners, you can always uh, hear a more in depth uh, discussion of, of, of these two films uh, over at More Than One Lesson. Uh, the, uh, it, it reminds me of In the Loop. Okay. Because anybody. Oh, really? Oh, man. You'd really like it. But. Um, the I have it at home. Completely watch, man. illegally. I I also watched it illegally. Okay, but uh, it's just sticking it to the man. And so, except uh, wait, don't we want? This, the, yeah, maybe I'll go watch it. this movie. Maybe I'll, I'll go pay to see it, and then I just won't watch it. <laughs> um, but the when you approach certain things like war and all that, and yes, it can be very awful, and of course, nuclear war can destroy the whole world. But it's hard not to see the humor. Because when you realize, like, okay, I myself am a reasonably intelligent person, and I realize how ridiculous I can be. Uh-huh. One has to assume everybody can be as ridiculous as I am. Some of those people have the power to destroy the world. <laughs> that's, redi- that's hilarious to me. When you, <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying, yeah, but, but it's hilarious. might be the only way to accept it is to find it funny. Yeah, and, and I feel like that's, that's kind of where he, he came from, is he has a, you know, a bunch of characters who have weird quirks and odd personalities, and of course everything's heightened a little bit, but these are the people that run the country and could blow up the world. And I, how he arrived there is completely believable to me and completely organic. It's just like, well, I have no choice but to make a comedy because it's all so damn funny. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he would, he would look, at it, look at it like that. And it is uh, terrifically funny, actually. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like uh, you talked about the Casablanca being funny as well. You know, a lot of comedy from a while ago um, doesn't, it doesn't hold up. Comedy changes, yes. you know, but there are certain things that will always be funny. Oh yeah, and uh, Doctor Strangelove is apparently one of them. You know, as as is Duck Soup, which is also on this list. Yeah, uh, and listeners know I'm not a big fan of some like it hot. I feel like that one, the comedy in that has not necessarily aged very well. But Doctor Strangelove, I mean, that's that if anything has become more relevant. Yeah, uh, as time has gone on and more countries can destroy the world. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's just. And the idea that you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company is... Always funny. Even funnier even now, I think. Now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think, I think we, can, we can move on. But, yeah, Dr. Strangelove is... is uh, <laughs> it's just so wonderful. If you haven't seen it, go watch it, but I'm sure you've probably seen it at this point. So, uh, okay, moving on. Okay, I've been excited to talk about this one, even though I don't have any idea what I'm going to say. Okay. But the next movie, this is number four? Uh, yes. yes. Number four, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And I'm uh, really glad. I've had a uh, weird relationship with Apocalypse Now. Okay. Loved it when I first saw it. Went through a period of not liking it. Okay. Uh, now I love it even more. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because... Uh, I, I think the first time I saw it, I was in high school. I just thought it was pretty cool. You yeah. know, and it is a really cool movie, yeah. you know. And then I started to see, oh, it's just, you know, 
what an ego on Coppola, you know. That yeah. he, it, have you noticed that Francis Ford Coppola is in three of the top ten movies? I have noticed or directed that. three of the top ten movies. He doesn't show up uh, at all, and then he shows up three times. He's uh, 30%, more than 30% of our top ten. Yeah, no, he's exactly 30% of the top ten. He's 30%. Oh, hang on. Three out of ten is 30%. Three out of ten. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I was thinking of, I got my math wrong. I wasn't very good in math, everybody. <laughs> but, um, yeah, then I went through a period. I was like, look at the, well, yeah, what kind of balls? Look at look what he, you know, and I, I kind of like dismissed it because I was, I just thought it was a big ego trip for him. And uh, then I made peace with the fact that that is what it is. It, yeah. You know, it's uh, his ego made that movie uh, and then found that fascinating, you yeah. know, that because uh, – I mean, it's it's inspired by Heart of Darkness, yeah. You know, but it really is uh, when you when you watch Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about it. It's fascinating yeah. to see how the production mirrored what goes on in the movie in a lot of ways. Just the further they got into it, that yeah. just the more insane it, it it became, and the more they sort of lost their connection to to reality. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and that's it. It's it's almost like uh, I almost think that uh, in a perfect world, all movies would be made kind of like Apocalypse Now, where people the people who make them have to go insane yeah. and rediscover their own identity. You know, because that's what yeah. happened to Francis Ford Coppola, and that's yeah. what happens to Martin Sheen in the movie. Yeah. Um, God, what's the character's name? It's oh hell, now I don't recall because it's not the I same. I could have told you uh, a minute ago, but now I'm thinking of it. Because they changed it, right, from the book? Yeah, I think so. Ah, damn it. Willard? Anyway, I think that's right. Okay. Why am I so bad at that? I'm a bad film geek. Um, so, yeah, I would I would like to see more movies where... where people go insane? Yeah. And then, yeah, or, and you sort of, like, uh, have to do your version of going upriver and then meeting Dennis Hopper, and uh, then you sort of rediscover yourself, and then you produce a movie. Everyone needs to meet Dennis Hopper. <laughs> that's the key to this. That's the key that well, will unlock anyway, the insanity. Everyone needs to meet 1978 Dennis Hopper. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost positive he's kind of similar now. <laughs> um, he just may might talk a little slower. We've you and I have both seen Fishing with John. That's 92 Dennis Hopper. Right. He's still pretty crazy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, what I think is interesting about Apocalypse Now is there's ego involved. It's a weird mix of ego and vision uh-huh. because it's you get the impression that he just thought I have to make this film. Why do I, even if it means my personal destruction, because nobody else is going to make this film mm-hmm. and no one is going to make it the way it needs to be made, which is uh, just completely balls out commitment. Mm-hmm. And so it's a weird realization that it's a weird mindset where it's like, I am the only one that can make this film. Yeah. And I ha- and and that makes me responsible to make it, you know, like. It's a film that that must be made, and I guess it's me that has to do it. And it's just it's a, and I again I respect I respect that I re, as as I've said before uh, just in general I really respect a filmmaker who just has this drive to do something and may not even be able to vocalize why or what yeah. it's about essentially. And you I know you've you've seen the the director's cut yeah. Uh, what which one do you prefer? I like them both. I, I view them as like separate entities. I I, li- I like them both. I prefer the director's cut. I think this is a it's a rare movie that 
the longer it gets, the more effective it is. <laughs> yeah. Because you, the longer you have to look at the screen and follow yeah. these people, the more you uh, lose yourself in, in the movie. And that's exactly what needs to happen when you watch Apocalypse Now. Not to mention the key sequence that is included is, of course, the fl- uh, French plantation sequence, mm-hmm. which only which is so... So sticks out like a sore thumb, but it's so it's it's its own thing and it's part of it. Yeah, it needs to be a part of it. Yeah, because it's just a completely different world, and it's just as surreal as the rest of it. It's really, yeah. I mean, I I think actually now that I think about it, I mean, because I haven't thought about that sequence in so long because it's you know what twenty five minutes a half hour even. Yeah, it's and it's just. Because it really spends its time, it really takes its time on that sequence, and just, this is another leg of their journey, and one that's just as strange and and haunting as the rest of it, Mm -hmm. because of the weird futility that these characters feel, that they're trying to live as if the rest of the world isn't happening, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, has an interesting effect on Martin Sheen's character, that they just... He's faced with people who are, I mean, I think he actually even describes them as like ghosts, uh-huh. you know, just haunting this, this world that they don't belong to anymore. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the director's cut, I'd say watch both. I mean, it's yeah. just at the very least from an academic standpoint, but, uh, all right, so all right. let's move on. We're number in the top three, three. We're in top three now. Yeah. Uh, number three, Film Geek Rejoice, 2001 A Space Odyssey has right. made it into the top 10. In fact, the top three. Indeed. It's in the top 30%, Tyler, of our list. I think 35, <laughs> David. Um, and there's another, like, um, uh, I was going to say, oh, we've got two Kubricks in the top, top 10, too. I didn't yeah. realize that. I didn't realize that until just now. Um, no, I forgot. God damn it. Uh, it's another, like, like Vertigo, it's another very, very weird film. Yeah. But, um... And Kubrick is, like Hitchcock, he was very uh, obsessive. He was very meticulous. Yeah. You know? But I don't think he was really an obsessive. I don't think he was crazy in the Hitchcock way. I think he was crazy in his own way. Yeah. He was, he was, a, he was a perfectionist. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, what, uh, you heard, like, Sidney Pollack tell a story about filming, like, his scenes for Eyes Wide Shut? Huh. And just, like, he was supposed to be, like, there a couple days and he was there for like a month <laughs> just doing his scenes um and uh it, you know it pays off with 2001 it's a, it's a meticulous film yeah and that's frankly unlike Casablanca I can see someone finding 2001 boring it's long and uh nothing really happens until like yeah pretty far into it yeah um it's uh, you have to be committed to to watch it, but I mean, it pays dividends. I am not a huge fan of 2001. Uh, of course, I respect it, and there's no question that it belongs in the top ten. Yeah. Um, but as I've said before, I've seen it twice in my life. Let's say I live to 80. Uh-huh. I live to age 80. I might watch it once more. Uh, I think I'm fine. Uh, just because it's just... As we, as I think we've mentioned before, everything that I find rewarding in a film is not there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the most memorable character is not a human. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, so it's just, it, it just doesn't have what I like. But of course, it's it, it's wonderful. It's technical marvel. Yeah. Um, 
in every way. I mean, the special effects, but also just the way that it is the the way that it is structured. It's just it's just such a. It's very seldom that you see a director so willing to just do whatever the hell he mm-hmm. wants to do. You know, you talk about the special effects, and that's something you know we as people who like came of age during the sort of '90s indie movement. You right. know, we talk about like. Uh, big budget films as if they're necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. You know? But it, as we've seen with Vertigo, Apocalypse Now, and, and 2001, yeah. if you give a lot of money to someone who's incredibly talented, they'll yeah. make they'll make an art film yeah. with a lot of money. Absolutely. You know? It's, it's uh, 2001 and Apocalypse Now and Vertigo are no less works of art because they cost more money than Absolutely. other films. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just all about how they use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to assume that Francis Ford Coppola in making Apocalypse Now probably just bought a bunch of bananas or something <laughs> and drugs and then just made the film uh, the way he would have otherwise. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, 2001. But, uh, yeah, that's just, why, I mean, that's why the Dark Knight's on the list, you know? You give yeah. Christopher Nolan, I mean, he, he needs to flip a semi over on State Street yeah. to make his point. And, Point made. Yeah. Also, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so 2001, it's just... But, it, I mean, when it when it works, it, it always works. I'm sorry. Uh, there are scenes that even... That have an effect even on me. You know what I mean? Uh, and, that, I mean, that... The sequence with Hal is so... Is so fascinating... To me, I mean, it's it's stuff that's been explored. It, it explores themes that have been explored elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's it's a film that's all about you know, it's about several things. But among them, like the idea of evolution and it being spurred along by things. And and one thing that I, that always struck me as interesting is the idea that well, Hal has the power to ju- he is by far the most powerful being on that ship. Mm-hmm. And so one can make the argument that, and it's been explored in other sci-fi films as well. Just that the idea that, well, maybe robots and, uh, artificial intelligence, even though it is not produced biologically by humans, it was created by humans. And in many sense, in many, in a lot of ways could be considered superior to humans. Mm-hmm. And so, perhaps that is the next step in evolution is machines mm-hmm. and and it's 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 explored you know a little bit in 2001 but that notion really fascinated me uh when i first saw it just the idea that that's you know it starts out with these apes and then it's people and it's like well maybe it's this i mean if evolution is the idea of of survival of the fittest well how is certainly in a better situation uh, circumstance to kill everybody else and mm-hmm. and win even though he doesn't and then when he do- when hal does die basically it's surprisingly sad it is it's it's like the the uh, it's the biggest emotional point in the movie yeah which is to say it's the, it's only the emotional <laughs> point in the film <laughs> right um yeah it's 2001 it's you know i i think i probably shortchange it a little bit when i say that i'll i'll only watch it maybe once more in my life i, I feel like if i maybe re- i haven't seen it in years maybe if i were to watch it again i might view it a different way and i might love it but i certainly again i, I mean i may not like it that much but that doesn't mean that it's not one of the best films of all time okay number 2 
I kind of gave this one way earlier. Yeah. It's uh, The Godfather. Oh, I thought it was one from the heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Thanks. Because you have a list in front of you, too. Yeah. You know it's not one from the heart. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Poor Frederick Forrest. Yeah. I like Frederick Forrest a lot. And I like one from the heart. Yeah, I actually do, too. Yeah. Let's talk about it for a second. No. It's All not. Right. Okay. <laughs> Great soundtrack by Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. Oscar nominated. Okay, continue. Well, I, I continued. I said The Godfather is oh, number indeed. two. Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, it's my turn to talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you say, uh, I guess, about six words, and then I'll talk for about eight minutes. It's, the, it's your turn to say the next six words. Um, yeah, The Godfather, of course, you know, it's like Casablanca. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a perfect film in a lot of ways, uh, and it's just... I don't know. It, it it's so it it's so great. It's hard to explain. It's hard to even talk about why it's good because you're like, well, it it just is. Well, it's it's hard to break down. Okay. It's so good. Uh, America is a country of immigrants, right? Right. And this is like Godfather Part Two is about a, uh, a lot about America. This is very much about America or the way that family is in America. Yeah, that's what Godfather is. It's uh, um, people who came over here essentially and banded together in little groups that got bigger, you mm-hmm. know, as people were born and more people came over. So the the extended family, especially among certain uh, you know, uh immigrants like the Italians and the Irish, oh, but the Catholics mm-hmm. are very into like the big family thing. Because right. of course they can only have sex to procreate. Yeah. They're not allowed to wear condoms. Uh so they make big families. Yeah. That's out of the way. Got got past that. Yeah, um, and of course, them being Catholic, they're Catholic in their home countries too. But because America is at least initially a, ho- a sort of hostile environment, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 the immigrants, that it the, the family unit becomes so important and so tight. You know, it 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 becomes like, you know, in this case, in 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 the Godfather, almost like a like a little army or, you know, yeah. a military outfit. Yeah. You know, as you said, as we talked about the Godfather Part Two, later it'll become a business. Yeah. But uh, at this point, survival is the key. Right. Um, and and that's, uh, I think that's true. I mean, it's, we've, I think we're getting to the point where that's, that's less true of the, of the Italians and the Irish, you know. Mm. Um, I'm Irish myself. Uh, I have a German last name, but I'm like three quarters Irish. So, uh, um, I, I I can feel I I I can see it in my family too because my extended family, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff and and like my parents' cousins and their kids, my second cousins, like right. we're all, I know them all. It's all a big, big group. You know, we we still have that. So that's, uh, so the 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 Godfather is yes, it's a movie about the mafia, but it's really a movie about uh family and the way families, uh, the way the way the families are transformed. And rebuilt by the immigrant experience. Well, and also it's just, uh, and it should be noted, by the way, uh, I grew up Protestant. I have one cousin, and we don't talk. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I barely talk to my extent, my my immediate family. Um, so, but it's also about just, <coughs> it's about the idea of loyalty. Um, certainly within the family, but it's like family above all else you never you do not go against the family even if you know the family's making a wrong decision you know mm-hmm. and so yeah. 
Like that's what you do. You do every that, and that's 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 Vito's way. That's mm-hmm. why the 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 first Godfather. It's all about family, and the second Godfather is all about business, because his generation. You do everything you can to protect your family at all times. Mm-hmm. You look at Godfather Part Two. I'm sorry to to bring it up, but like you look at Godfather Part Two. There are two familial betrayals. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and just because it's it's about business now. Loyalty is no longer an issue. Honor is no longer an issue. Yeah. Um, the first and then that God- devolves into uh, Jackie Jr. trying to hold up that card game on the Sopranos. Absolutely. I mean, that's that is the yeah yeah that that's not something that him at his level should have been doing. Yeah. He should have been patient, bide his time, become uh you know moved worked his way up in the industry. Yeah. But he wants to uh, make a name for himself. Yeah, and it's and the idea of like, well, I want it, you know, I want it now. I just it's like, well, you're part of the family, don't you realize that you'll just get this eventually? Yeah, it's like, no, I want it now. And so, um, but that's enough about the Sopranos, right? <laughs> Although, but that's the thing is just, you, it's also about just the the way family approaches itself. Because I mean, if you look at the difference between Michael, Sonny, and Fredo. Like Michael is is similar in his demeanor to Vito, but as far as as far as like loyalty goes, Sonny is probably the most loyal, or, or the he probably has like the strongest sense of the old ways. Yeah, and, and although he is thing. the one who disagrees with his father in front of the right. the Turk, but that's just because he. But that has nothing to do with loyalty or disloyalty. That only has to do with him being impetuous, you know. Right. And so, so, it, so, like you look at part of part of uh, Vito's sadness, I think, is looking at his three sons, and up and uh, up and you know, till a certain point, he doesn't even consider Michael as the person who will carry on the the family tradition. Um, so all he's thinking is, well, it's either going to be Fredo or Sonny. Damn it. <laughs> you know, these guys are not going to be able to carry, carry on the way I have been. I mean, look how quick Sonny is to jump on, on this thing. Like he, he may be loyal. I mean, just look at the way he is with his sister. Um, yeah. Or more specifically his brother-in-law. Right. Um, but he's not going to be able to carry this on, and and, and Fredo's just too weak. Um, but the, but it also has a, another another family related theme that I that I respond to a great deal, which is in the sense that uh, I, I think it's there's there's a movie called The Proposition that I, I haven't talked about in a while, but it was my favorite movie of 2006, and it's basically the idea of of family above all else, literally above humanity, above civility. Above uh, morality, family is more important than anything else, and it's it's very you know self-contained and all that. It's just it's us against them, and you want to be loyal to your family absolutely, but at the same time, if it makes you do just these awful, horrible things, um, you know, it's like ah, well, some sometimes you got to make sacrifices for the good of humanity, mm-hmm. and that's kind of that's kind of what the proposition is about as well, and that's and I get that vibe in. The Godfather, and that's and that's one of the fascinating things is how much they all seem to love each other and value each other, and you'd think that from the you know from the same place that that love 
springs from a love for a general love for humanity would be there as well and it's not right and that always fascinated me yeah um but i'm sorry we can we can move on now if you want if you want to well that, i can't remember who said uh, if it was uh the guy who wrote goodfellas or someone who had spent a lot of time with with uh the mafia and mm-hmm. he said um you know if you uh if you die that's hilarious if if they get a splinter it's a tragedy yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um Okay, so moving on. All right. Now we have done an episode on our favorite movies of all time. Yeah. We've done an episode on the best characters of all time. Yeah. I'm not sure have we ever mentioned Citizen Kane before? According to some, it's the it's every eighth word out of my <laughs> mouth. Um and it's apparently the only Orson Welles film I've ever seen. That's not true, of course, but to some they they seem to think that. Uh yeah, so Does number one actually say that cuz I feel like Honestly, I feel like we've talked about Othello more than we've talked about Citizen Kane on this show. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, somebody, I love Othello. Oh, I do too as well. Um, but the yeah, uh, somebody once uh, on that message board that doesn't care for us that much. Oh, um, yeah, I love them. Had uh, they they quoted me? They weren't saying it was a literal quote, but it's the essence of me, uh, in which it's, it's like, uh, like uh, oh, yeah, I love Orson Welles. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. I've only ever seen Citizen Kane, but I love Orson Welles. Screw you. I've only not seen the trial, and some of his and some of his unfinished films. But the trial is available for you to see. It is. I just haven't gotten around. <laughs> I haven't to gotten it around yet. to it. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I haven't seen some of his. I haven't you seen, like, like you track down chime, chimes at midnight. Yeah, <laughs> but you haven't made your way down I to the blockbuster the tr- or Hollywood video. I borrowed to pick the, up trial the trial from somebody <laughs> once, and uh, and I popped it into the DVD player. But it uh, it was that old DVD player that you and I had that didn't work with some. Oh yeah. Uh, well, it was just old. Yeah. yeah we had so, to, so yeah, had to take it out behind the barn and shoot so it. I'll, uh, we sure did. Yeah. Um, I'll get around to it, but just, uh, <laughs> but yeah. And so, Citizen Kane. I, I'll say this: I was very pleased at Citizen Kane was number one on this list by a pretty substantial margin, yeah. um, and uh, I like that because that is something that separates us from the IMDb. What's top at IMDb? Uh, it's either Godfather or Shawshank. I don't recall, huh. but God, uh, but Citizen Kane's like in the thirties. You know, um, a lot. I feel like, as I've said before, and which is why I feel like we don't need to spend a lot of time on this uh, on Citizen Kane in general, is because you and I have talked about it a lot. But it does bother me that so many people, because it's been considered the best by so many for so long, for so long, yeah, that anybody who approaches it is almost looking for flaws looking for reasons not to like it mm-hmm. and uh yeah that's dumb uh i feel like one should never go into a film looking for reasons not to like it if the reasons pre- present themselves by all means acknowledge them but i, I feel like that's never uh, a good attitude to have and in the case of a film like casablanca or citizen kane or or, or the godfather a film that people everybody uh, everybody films that everybody loves um then you're just being contrary uh and or contrarian and that's nobody likes that guy and yeah. so uh even though sometimes you and I, I think david have been that guy in our lives oh in my life yeah, yeah. oh yeah i There's no question i was about all about being that guy for a while yeah but i like to think that i'm not now yeah i don't think i don't think I don't think I am anymore, but yeah, back in high school, me loving Citizen Kane was being contrarian. Because right. you know what? Screw you guys. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but what I, what's interesting is uh, what I'll say about um, 
Citizen Kane, I will combine a couple things that we've said about uh, some of the other movies in the top ten. I feel like Citizen Kane is a perfectly is a perfectly made film as far as structure, acting, cinematography, editing, sound. Everything is perfect. That said, it is still about a lot of things. Like it yeah. still is about. It's not about any one. Thing. It's about like eight things, and I'm only at number four in my life now. It's just, you know, it's about like m- not necessarily misspent youth, but the idea of innocence lost. And yeah, doesn't it bother you that you and I are still like working on what Citizen Kane's about, and Orson Welles was younger than we are when he made it? <sighs> yeah, that does bother. <laughs> but but I honestly feel like he just much like much like with uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, I feel like he just. <clears throat> had to make this film and it's not necessarily a perfect film because if he was alone when he died who heard him say rosebud right as butler was around okay um (laughs) although there is a joke in which uh and i'm sure i think i probably said this very early on in the in the podcast so maybe it's not around anymore but uh there was a joke where orson welles was being interviewed like 40 years after the Uh film and someone goes hey i have a question for you if he was alone, who heard him say Rosebud? And Orson Welles just stopped for a moment, looked away, looked back and said, don't you ever tell this to anybody. <laughs> and just, I mean, he was being kind of facetious, but yeah. that was kind of the, the his, his answer was basically that like, well, he's, there's servants around. I mean, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but yeah, it's so, it's just what I like about it is how, how meticulous and yet, incredibly complex and enigmatic the film is and you know and in that way it kind of takes its cues from its lead character who is a fully realized character and yet you don't feel like you you feel like you know a lot about him but that you can never know everything about him because he doesn't know about himself right and and yeah and of course i mean it's just it's gorgeous to look at i mean i saw it on the big screen for the first time a few months ago uh, over a year ago now that, that I think about it and it was just and it felt like it was the first time I saw it I mean if ever you get the chance to see I'd say probably any Orson Welles film but certainly Citizen Kane on a big screen I don't care if you've seen it 20 times go see it yeah because it will blow your mind Um, so yeah uh, that's what I had to say about Citizen Kane David you got anything? no I think we should wrap it on up okay Oh yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> this is this has been fun. This didn't take as long as I was afraid it would take. Oh, uh, it took longer than I thought it was going to take. So. <laughs> I was I was afraid we were going to be pushing the two hour mark. Oh yeah, okay, all right, good for us. Um, yeah, so uh, so you can always uh, well. First uh, off, okay. Thanks for the list. Listeners. Absolutely, you guys did a uh, bang up job. Yeah, it, we're really happy to have it on our website and uh, indeed ha- have it uh, be our our statement. Yeah, because ultimately. Your submissions basically reflect on us. You know, when somebody goes to the website, I mean, we do say that it's listener-generated, but if they just look at the list, they're going to judge David and I. Right. And, uh... Especially if we if our grammar is that bad. <laughs> why, why are you attacking me? Because I'm... Yeah, I'm all slap-happy because I'm sitting in a pool of my own sweat because you turned off the, uh... Air conditioner. You know what? Tell you what. That's for you, buddy. Um, and so, so that's the thing is, I, I yes, you're you're absolutely right, David. I'm I'm 
I am proud to have this list on our website. Uh, and one thing, I will say this, of course, one thing that uh, somebody might think is like, wow, these guys hate documentaries. <laughs> um, but, uh, but aside from that, yeah, uh, thank you uh, for those that uh, participated. And, um, yeah, uh, if, you have any, if you have anything to, uh, to say, like if you were disappointed that something was left off, if you were excited that something was was uh, was on the list, um, go to the forum and discuss it. I'll I'll set up a uh, a specific thread for this, and uh, and of course for those that are kind of new, uh, head on over to the top hundred characters list, yeah, um, and go through that as well because there's I, I uh, that's a great list, uh, also user generated, uh, listener generated, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, until next week, you can get you David. Can, you can find us, of course, at battleshipretention.com. Our email addresses are tyler at battleshipretention.com and david at battleshipretention.com. And you can follow me on Twitter right. at the pretension. Right. You can also follow Tyler on Twitter if you want to. Right, but it's not a function of this. <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted me to say no, if, if you're sa- saving the at address because I said it last time. No, it's fine. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, at more lessons. And it's uh, basically the, the the official Twitter of uh, more than one lesson, uh, my uh, my other podcast. So um, and by all means, please listen to that. Uh, so yeah, thanks again, everybody, and uh, yeah, we'll get you next time. Bye bye.